Good morning, guys. Uh, happy Memorial Day, and uh, and and um, thanks if uh, if you have served. Obviously, you know Memorial Day. We're remembering those who gave the ultimate sacrifice so that we can enjoy freedom. And uh, we've been talking about um, very similar things in uh, Galatians. So I'm thankful to live in a country where there have been men and women who have been willing to sacrifice. Uh, their time, their sometimes their families, and in some cases their lives for for our good, and uh, that should show us that uh, we are made in the image of a God who does the exact same thing. And so I'm I'm thankful for uh, God uh, using men and women to to do that for our freedom, just as Jesus has done that for us. So it's a good day to celebrate that. Um, I missed you guys. I'll start by saying that I wasn't here last week. Um, but Pete did a great job of uh, leading us uh, last Sunday morning uh, in, in our teaching through Galatians. As many of you know and were praying, I was uh, up in Massachusetts with my family. Uh, we were celebrating my mom's life and uh, her passing, which happened back in January. And uh, so we waited a, a, a season of time. Uh, mostly, well, some of that was because we, we needed a little bit of time to process and gather family together. Part of the other reason is that my mom absolutely hates the cold, and so if my dad brought, you know, her remains up to New England in the middle of winter, she, you know, we wanted to honor her by uh, by doing it in a warm season, which it almost wasn't. Um, if you know the the couple weeks before uh, this past weekend, it was uh, it was it was pretty cold and and rainy. Now all of a sudden it's very hot. And so now we complain about the heat, even though it was just seven days ago that we were complaining about the cold. So, but we're New Jerseyans, so that's what we do. <laughs> um, but anyway, just, I want to thank you guys for praying. I know that many of you were uh, in prayer for me and for our family through that whole season, that whole time uh, while I was away. And specifically, many of you prayed for me at the moment that I was sharing with our family uh, so I just wanted to thank you for that. I, I really did feel surrounded by prayer. I believe that God inhabits the praises of his people, that he honors when his people uh, submit themselves to him and show their dependency on him and say, we need you, Father. And I was certainly in that place <laughs> um, coming into that, uh, that time when you're, you're you know, delivering a message to your family who is pro- most of them have never seen, haven't seen me for 10 plus years, let alone heard me preach, and um, so I was a little nervous about that, and um, at the same time, I'm doing it and trying to honor my, my own mom as I did it, so it was a, it was a unique challenge. I feel like God uh, met me, though, and, uh, and really used me. I was having a lot of conversations with my family afterwards, and my big prayer, and I know many of you prayed this with me, is just that people would see a God of grace, a God of compassion, a God who who bears with those who are brokenhearted, who, who is in the midst of our struggle and who longs to come alongside of us and walk with us and feel what we feel when we feel the pain of death and the pain of this world. Because most of them have never heard of a God like that before. They've only heard of a God who stands far removed and, and judges us and we have to do enough good works to get into his good graces. And that's not the gospel. And so I just, I wanted them all to walk away with a picture of a God who's totally different than anything they've ever asked or imagined before. And I, I believe that God did that. So thank you for joining me in prayer. Um, and we've been going through some of those very same ideas as we've been in the, the letter of Galatians that Paul wrote to the churches of Galatia in modern-day Turkey. And we're uh, a little over halfway through that series that we're going to carry through into July. Um, but we're today, the, the part that we're going to cover is chapter 4, verses 8 through 20. So if you're going to follow along with us, I think the page is like 811, 812 in the Bibles that we have. But if you remember last week, if you were here last week, Pete uh, led us through a conversation about what does it look like for us to be the children of God, for us to have a new identity as sons and heirs uh, that, that have been brought in so that we, we don't just adhere to the rules from a God who is kind of our master and Lord, but we hear from our Father through His Spirit. And that what true freedom is, is, is coming into relationship with Him and getting to walk with Him moment by moment, day by day throughout our lives. So I hope that was 
beneficial to you. It was for me, and I hope you've had a chance to meditate on that this week. This week, what we're going to talk about is Paul kind of turns a little bit of a corner, is that if we're God's children, then what kinds of relationships will that produce in us and with the people around us? What are the what is the kind of community that we'll experience as well as what is some of the dangers to, the, to that community? He's going to talk about both of those things. And how, if, if maybe if we're not experiencing that kind of community, those kinds of friendships, those kinds of relationships, how can we either get those relationships or get them back if we feel like they're broken? So that's what we're going to talk about. So let me, let me start off with a dialogue question, get you guys thinking about this. What do you think it means to be a good friend? You think about being a friend to someone else. What, what are some of the characteristics that you think about? Whole bunch right there. What's Listening. Yeah, somebody who seeks to understand the other person, right? Yep. Someone's loyal, faithful. Someone who's trustworthy, who, who is... You can confide in them and and expect them to come through when they say that they're going to come through. They're authentic, yeah. It's not just a one-way street where you kind of bear your life to them and they don't bear their life to you, but there's an openness to your relationship. Yeah, Carol. Yeah, they don't beat around the bush, right? They just, they come to you and ask you rather than making assumptions. Or thinking the worst, right? So oftentimes we, in relationships, we, you know, we, we, we tend to, in separation from other people, build up and start thinking the worst of them rather than going to them and asking, hey, what's going on here? Yeah. Yeah, so they're not a fair-weather friend who's only around in good seasons, but they're around when things are difficult, too. Yeah. Right. Yeah, so maybe there's even a closer group of friends that you're, you know, you, you move from being social with to being intimate with because they they have all the characteristics that we've already talked about, right? Yeah. So we're sacrificial in our relationships. Hopefully if you're a good friend for someone, it means you're willing, and we're going to talk about this, you're willing to, to sacrifice for them, to, to pay a cost, to be in relationship. Yeah. Okay, yeah. So you might have things that you like to do together, and so you find commonality over those things. Good. Yeah. So judgment in a condemning way, right? Uh, We don't want to condemn people for what they do. Certainly we're not condemned before God's eyes in Christ. So, um, And that can be a tough line to walk, right? Because a good friend will speak the truth without condemnation. And that, sometimes that's a hard balance to get. We'll talk about that a bit. The, so as you're thinking about this, what Paul's about to do in this next section is that his tone is going to shift a little bit. If you remember up until now, m- many of Paul's arguments, many of his, the things that he's been saying to the Galatian church, he, he's, he's given a little bit of his backstory to talk about why they should you know, be changing the way that they're believing about adding things into their uh, system of belief that Jesus is enough by himself alone. And then he's given kind of theological uh, you know, beliefs about why they should believe these things. But he's going to shift to a more relational tone. It's a little bit like a father who sees their son doing something wrong and they kind of, you know, they might come down hard on them first and go, this is wrong and here's all the reasons for it and this is why you should change and this is what needs to happen and you need to bear the, the consequences and the discipline for your actions here. But then somewhere along the line, if they're not getting it, hopefully if the dad's a good dad, they kind of get down on the level of their kids and they go, hey, I, I, just, I want you to know that what you did really hurt me. And hopefully as a parent... You're, you're, you show your kids a little enough of your own heart that they can see that when your kids sin against you, it has an influence on you. That their, their sin might have been things that they you know, weren't believing about God and, and that might be the primary you know, vertical nature of what they did wrong. But there's a horizontal impact to that vertical, impl- uh, vertical action. 
And so hopefully as parents, we're, we're, we're opening our hearts a little bit so that our kids can actually see what's going on with us, especially when we're hurt, especially when we make mistakes, right? And, and so that's what Paul's going to do a little bit with them. He's going to recall the kind of relationship that he used to enjoy with them and what's caused that relationship to start to break down. And so if you're, you know, just consider as we read through this, if you have a relationship with someone, a friendship that's in need of repair, I want you to ask yourself, why is it broken and what will fix it? What What does a good friend look like? And am I being one? So, so let's catch up with what he's talking about in Galatians 4, start in verse 8. He says, Formerly, when you did not know God, you were slaves to those who by nature are not gods. He's talking about their life before as, uh, under pagan belief system. But now that you know God, or rather are known by God, how is it that you are turning back to those weak and miserable forces? Do you wish to be enslaved by them all over again? You are observing special days and months and seasons and years. I fear for you that somehow I have wasted my efforts on you. never want to hear a, a parent say that, right? It's like a, I'm so disappointed. You know, it's like the, <laughs> the word that comes out when like all other words fail. Verse 12, I plead with you, brothers and sisters, become like me, for I became like you. You did me no wrong. As you know, it was because of an illness that I first preached the gospel to you. And even though my illness was a trial or a burden to you, you did not treat me with contempt or scorn. Instead, you welcomed me as if I were an angel of God, as if I were Christ Jesus himself. Where then is your blessing of me now? I can testify that if, I could, if you could have done so, you would have torn out your eyes and given them to me. Have I now become your enemy by telling you the truth? Those, who, those people who are zealous to win you over, but for no good, what they want is to alienate you from us so that you may have zeal for them. It is fine to be zealous, provided the purpose is good, And to be so always, not just when I'm with you, my dear children, for who I am again in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you, how I wish I could be with you now and change my tone because I'm perplexed about you. So you hear a little bit of Paul's tone there, right? Some of the what's going on with him relationally as he thinks about uh, the relationship that he used to enjoy with them. What are some of the things that come to mind about the friendship that Paul had with them? What are some of the things that you noticed as he was sharing this? What was true of their relationship? Yeah. Yeah, which is a pretty intimate statement to make, right? There, hopefully, where you see there's care and concern and love and a desire for them to, to change and to grow and to be who God wants them to be. Anything else you notice? Yeah, so there's some regret there. There's some sorrow that the relationship is broken down. So when they were in need, he was there. There's a, a little bit of a, we've moved on, right? We've, we're on to bigger and better things. Yeah, he's not giving up on them though, right? He's perplexed. He, he's wondering if his efforts were wasted, but you don't get the sense that Paul's giving up on them. In fact, I mean, the reason he's writing the letter is because he hasn't. He wants them to see and, and to experience things the way that they once were. As I uh, kind of think about this, he, Paul is really comparing the, the types of relationship that he had with them when he was with them and the kinds of relationships that they now have with the people that are trying to influence them to believe these other things about what God is like. And Paul compares those kinds of relationships, and he says these other people are trying to win you over, but he's saying the relationship that I had with you, it was saturated with the gospel. I mean, Jesus was everywhere in our relationship, and, and that was bearing itself out in the way that we related to one another. But these other people, the relationship that you have with them is not marked by 
the good things that come along with the gospel, it's marked by things like alienation and division and competition. And so I just I, I want to frame the way that we talk about this this morning as, as the kinds of friendships, the kinds of relationships that I think God is calling us to be true of this family. I, I was funny because I was just telling Kurt in the back, it's like, um, sometimes it's a bit frustrating to get you guys to not talk so that we can move on with the rest of the morning because you guys love each other. And, and, uh, and when you're with one another, you want to hear about each other. And I think in some aspects, the community that we have together is our greatest strength. And so I want to commend us, but, but I don't want us to settle either. I, I, I truly think that God wants us to have the kinds of relationships with each other that we're going to talk about this morning that, that would make the world pause and wonder. Like, there's both a weirdness to the way that they love and, and sacrifice for each other, but it's weirdly attractive at the same time. You know? Like, it's, where it's, like, it's so weird that I don't get it, but it's so different than what I've ever experienced that I, I want to be part of that. And I think God uses more than almost anything else his community, and its love for one another to bring people into relationship with Jesus and to show him what he's like. Jesus himself said, it's your love for one another that shows you're my disciples, right? And so I, I want this, these kinds of things to be true about our community. But, but here's the thing. I, I know that anything that we want to be true of our community starts with leaders. And so particularly if you're a leader here, if you, if you help lead a Cultivate Community or one of our ministries or you're you know, part of our, our team, our ministry team in any way, I want you to pay particular attention to the kinds of relationships that Paul is talking about was true for him and these people. Okay? The first thing, one of the first things I picked up on and noticed is that when he talks about the relationship that he had with them, he said it was, it's both... There's both empathy and vulnerability. There's empathy and there's vulnerability. Think of it like a two-way street. And this is what he says in verse 12. I plead with you, brothers and sisters, become like me, for I became like you. There's that that two-way nature. And and what Paul's saying is that when he came, he became like them. When Paul came to them, he didn't just tell them a bunch of good things about Jesus. He didn't just say, here's, here's all the ways that you need to change, which apparently is what these other false teachers are doing. He tried to actually understand who they were. He said, I wanted to become like you, which means that Paul, when he showed up, he actually set aside his Judaism and lived like a pagan, which in his day, in his culture, to, to the people of, of Jerusalem and, and the culture that he was a part of, that would have been blasphemous. For Paul to do that. And he's saying, no, out of my love for you, I've set aside all the things that were barriers between you and me. I've put those things aside so that I could come into your world and try to understand what it's like to live your life from your perspective. See, it's different from sympathy. Sympathy is coming in and going, I sympathize with, the, with your condition, but I don't know what it's like. Empathy is saying, I will, I will become what you are like so that I will know what it feels to be like you. And that's a friend, right? It's not just somebody who comes along and says, there, there, things will be okay. It's someone who comes into your condition and tries to understand your life from your perspective so that they might help you. And so if, as, as we're thinking about being friends, that's, that's primarily what, what it begins with is looking to understand people, just as Jesus did with us, by the way. I mean, think of the way that Jesus related to us. He didn't just shout a bunch of good things from heaven. He didn't just come into the world as a 30-year-old guy and go, I'm going to go to the cross, even though I don't know what it's like to be them. No, for 30 years, he walked among us, and nobody even knew he was here. I mean, imagine that. Emmanuel, God with us, walking among us for 30 years. And he's not shouting, hey, look at who I am. He's listening. He's trying to understand us. Hebrews says that we have a great high priest, that's Jesus, who is like us in every way, yet without sin. 
How did he get that way? He walked with us and he listened to us and he understood what we're like. And here's what I found. That you will never love someone. You will never grow in your love for anyone if you don't understand them. If you don't understand them. And, and here's the thing. We often think as Christians that we have to agree with everyone to understand them. You don't need to agree with them. You simply need to know what it's like to live in their shoes. The way that God did with us. God didn't agree with our condition. He didn't agree with everything that we were doing when he came. But he, and, and yet he came in to understand us before he pronounced judgment on us. He said, I come in to save the world, not to condemn you. So if we, need to love, if we want to love people, we need to understand them. If we want to understand them, then you will never do that apart from spending time with them. We need to spend time with people in order to understand them. And as we understand them, we will love them. Uh, you guys have heard me tell the story of uh, one of my old neighbors that was back in Runnymede. And he was the most difficult guy to love. I think in the whole town of Runnymede, which is like 8,000 people, God put him across the street from us. And yet every time we did something, every time the doors were open in our house, he was there. He just came along to everything. And at first, we're like, every time we would leave, Mandy and I would have this conversation of like, all right, like things have got to change because that was really tough and he made a mess of everything and his language was really crude and, and, and he, he doesn't act like us and he doesn't submit to all the social norms that we think are part of like being in relationship with other people. And, like, look at all the things that are untrue about him. But here's the thing. The more we spent time with him, the more we understood him. The more we understood him, the more compassion we had for him. The more compassion we had for him, the more we loved him. To the, fa- to the point where a year later, when he decided to pick up and move across the, the country to Hawaii to be with his sister, we wept. We wept at him moving. Now, where does that kind of love come from? It comes from understanding. And it comes from being with them. Verse 20, he says, How do I wish I could be with you now and change my tone because I'm perplexed about you? See, he's saying, I I don't get it. I used to understand you, and things have changed now, and I don't. I wish so much that I could go back and be with you so that I could understand you more and help you more. At the same time, though, Paul isn't afraid to tell them that they should become like him. Now, we, we might think that that's an odd thing, um, but I need to be clear. Paul is not saying to them, become good like me. So oftentimes we can think that and think, well, Paul's just being arrogant. He's, he's telling them that he's good and they're bad and they should become like him. That's not what he's doing. Remember, the whole letter up until this point is about their need for grace and Paul's need for grace. And so what he's saying is, remember when I first showed up? Remember when I first came to you and, and I was a mess? I, 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 didn't, I wasn't even planning to stop in your part of town, but I was, I was in such a bad way that I literally just fell into your community. Remember how in need I was and how open I was with, with my needs and, and with who I was, the fact that I was, I, I was hopeless apart from Jesus. Remember that? Become like that. Become like me. Join me in boasting about your weakness so that Jesus and the gospel will shine through you as hopefully it's shining through me. That's what he's telling them. The question I would ask you as you consider this is are you making people a priority enough by spending your time with them? in such a way that you come to understand what makes them who they are. And then the second question is, are you open enough with your struggles? The people that are around you that spend time with you, do they have access to your heart? Do they know what your disappointments are? Do they see your troubles? Do they see you struggling, trying to find faith in the midst of those things? Can they see the way that Jesus is transforming you over time? And and this is particularly a word for you leaders. We need to be vulnerable with our community. 
hopefully, I, I just want to be clear this, leadership is not the people who have it all together. It's the people that are honest about their weakness. That's the kind of leadership that Paul is showing. This is what it means to be a leader. It's somebody who understands to the bone of who they are their need for Jesus in the gospel, and they're willing to express that need and, and receive people speaking into that need over and over and over again. Is that true? Is it becoming true of you? Next, he's, he talks about sacrificing and suffering for others. This is what he says in 13 to 15. As you know, it's because of an illness that I first preached the gospel to you. And even though my illness was a trial to you, even though it was burdensome, you did not treat me with contempt or scorn. Instead, you welcomed me as if I were an angel of God, as if I were Christ Jesus himself. Where then is your blessing of me now? I can testify if you could have done so, you would have torn out your own eyes and given them to me. Paul's saying, when I first came to you, I was a burden more than I was a blessing. But you welcomed me as though I were Jesus himself. You would have given anything for me. You would have sacrificed for me in all kinds of ways if I had the need of it. Again, Paul likens the way that they treated him to the way Jesus treats us. That we have a God who did not stay far off in our time of greatest need, but he became one of us and he joined us in the midst of our struggles and pain. He didn't treat us with contempt as if we were too messy to get involved with. He, he actually, as a sinless one, submitted himself to our mess. He became messy so that we could become clean. He gave up not just his eyes, but his life to rescue us. See, that's what it means for Jesus to be a friend of sinners. It's a friendship that costs him everything. So when you think about your friendships, when you think about you being a friend to others, even here with the people that are around you today, are you only a friend when the cost is low? Or like Jesus, are you learning to be a friend even though the cost could be high to you? See, are you willing to bear others' burdens with them even to the point of suffering alongside those who are suffering? As a, as a culture, we live in a society that is all about friendship for convenience sake, right? It's friendship for my benefit when things are going well. But it's not a f- type of friendship that bears the cost with others. And here, here's one of the, we're often told, like, don't befriend anyone who has the potential to bring you down. Only those that can lift you up. And I'll say this, it's important to be friends with people that that can lift you up. It's important to be around people that remind you of Jesus and help you grow. But if those are your only friends, you are not being like Jesus. You're not filled with the, the, the Spirit of God that would lead you to befriend people who have no ability to give back to you what you give to them. Because that's what He did for us. I mean, if if Jesus believed the the statement, only befriend people that have things to offer you, he would not be our friend. Let's just, I mean, be honest about that. I would not be a friend of Jesus if I had something to offer him. Are we, as friends, bearing the cost, befriending people, even if it means we bear a cost? And sometimes it does bear costs, right? Costs of time and costs of reputation, sometimes costs of money, sometimes costs of comfort. Are you willingly giving up those things for the sake of your friends? See, gospel friendship says, I can bear the cost of our friendship and sacrifice for you because Jesus paid the cost and sacrificed for me. So when somebody asks you that question, why are you doing this for me? Why are you treating me like a friend even though I've never done anything for you, hopefully the answer that God gives you in the midst of those things is, I'm doing exactly what Jesus has done for me. And so I can give away without cost because I've received without cost. 1 John 3.16, you know know John 3.16. 
For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. Whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. This is John's letter to the church after his gospel. And he says this, This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. Are we laying it down, family? Are we laying it down? Next, the thing that, that Paul talks about is that there's a willingness to tell the truth. He says in verse 16, Have I now become your enemy by telling you the truth? See, in love, Paul was not afraid to share things that were difficult for the Galatians to hear. In fact, what Paul would have said was that it's, it would have been unloving to keep those truthful things from them. See, in our culture, in our day, we are so concerned with offending everyone that we rarely speak the truth to them. A little bit of what Carol was talking about before. We'll speak it to everyone else. So if we, if we know there's something that needs to grow or needs to change in the life of our brother and sister, in the life of someone that we're close to, we'll tell absolutely everyone else about it. Right? That's gossip. But oftentimes we will not tell the person that needs to hear it the most. And Paul would say to us, that when we are doing that, we are loving ourselves more than we are loving our friend. We, we are, are worshiping a, a, a God of appeasement to keep things from, from moving into conflict, which is really us just avoiding conflict, which is really just us loving ourselves. It's not the loving thing to do. I remember this was weird to me when I first became a believer, because I, I didn't become a believer until I was 21. And in my family, in our cult, the culture of my family growing up, you'd never talk to the person about what was going on in their life. And you always talk to other people about that person. I mean, it was just everywhere in our family. And it, it drives me crazy, because it still goes on to this day. And I'm like, what are we doing? We're spending so much energy and time and frustration talking about people that aren't in the room, thinking that telling other people is going to change the situation. It has nothing to do with it. And I remember when I had roommates in college and we were close enough in relationship with one another that they got to see the everyday junk of my life. And first becoming a believer and being, I mean, like any baby, because when you come to faith in Christ, you're born again in Christ. And when you do that, you're, you're messy, right? Just like a baby is. We should expect that people that are new in Christ are going to poop and pee everywhere. So, like, we should just get used to that, right? And fortunately, they treated me with a lot of grace. Uh, but I'll never forget the first time they sat me down. We were talking, and they said, hey, we'd like to, we'd like to tell you about a couple things that we see in you that, that we think God wants to help you change. And I thought, nope, wait, people don't do this, Right? This does not happen. You don't talk to the person. You talk about the person. No, you don't talk about the person. You talk to the person. The family, I, I, I so desperately want this to be something that's part of our culture as a church, is that we do not talk about people. We talk to people. In fact, if, if, if anyone comes to me sharing something and you're like, you know, something needs to change about this person and I just want to tell you about it. The first thing that I will ask you is have you talked to them? And if the answer is no, you will turn right back around and you will go to that person. And if you don't have the strength to do it, if you're too afraid to do it, then someone will come with you and help with the conversation. We will not talk about people. We will talk to them, family. I, I think it's so dishonoring of the gospel when, when we give ourselves over to gossip and slander. We waste so much time and energy when we allow that to be true. I, I think the Spirit of God wants to clean that up in us so badly. Are we willing to do that? Are we close enough in relationship with others that you know them well enough to know where they need to grow in Christ? And if so... Are you sharing that information with them? 
or are you withholding it? See, the truth is, oftentimes we'll say, out of fear, well, what if, you know? If I shared that, well, what if they get angry? What if they don't like me anymore? What if they throw it back in my face? What if they, what if they tell me something that's wrong in my heart if I share that with them? See, all those what ifs are in the hand of, they're not in your hands, right? You can't control any of those things. But if we believe in a God of grace and a God of sovereignty who has control over us and wants to see relationships reconciled, then we'll believe that he is the one who has all those things in his hand and that he's trustworthy with it. So are we growing in that? And the reason that Paul was willing to speak the truth to them is because of the last element of his friendship was was so foundational and locked in place. The reason he was able to share the truth of them is because his relationship was based on wanting their ultimate good. His relationship with them was not based on them serving Paul. It was based on Paul wanting their highest good. And this was complete contrast with these false teachers because this is what he says about them in verse 17. The goal of the false teachers relationship with you is not for your benefit. He says, those people are zealous to win you over, but for no good. What they want is to alienate you from us so that, they may, so that you might have zeal for them. What is he saying? He's saying their relationship to you isn't for your benefit, it's for theirs. They don't care about you, they care about themselves. They need you to need them because that helps them feel like they're justified, like what they're doing is okay and it's right. The, the, the ends justify the means. He says they're, they're telling you exactly what you want to hear in order to get your loyalty. You are the means to their end. I don't know if you've ever been in a relationship like that before. They're really common, though. I just want to say, though, if you have... God can heal you from it. He, he can turn that brokenness around and show you a different picture of what it looks like to have friends or have people love you and to be someone who loves people selflessly. Because that's not who Paul is. Paul says of his relationship, my dear children for whom I'm again in the pains of childbirth, until what? Not until they're pleased with Paul until Christ is formed in you. How I wish I could be with you now and change my tone about you because I'm perplexed about you. In other words, he says, I'm in agony. Not for your loyalty to me, not because you don't think highly of me or well of me, because of your loyalty to Jesus. I'm concerned about your, your relationship to him, not so much to me. See, Paul isn't trying to gain fans. He's trying to get people to follow Jesus. He doesn't want people ultimately to to be dependent on him. He wants them to be dependent on Christ. Which is, this is the hard one, I think, among all the other ones, to be honest with you. Because here's the deal. If you're doing all the rest of the things that we've talked about already... If you're empathetic and vulnerable, if you're sacrificing for your friend's good, if you're telling the truth, if you're really loving your friends, then it will feel like they are obligated to you. Right? Have you ever said this? I've done so much for that person. And they don't reciprocate at all. Are they obligated to you? Are they obligated to Jesus? See, so oftentimes we do things not out of genuine love. Genuine love is to do things in such a way that we don't require repayment. And when you feel like people owe you for your friendship, then you are requiring payment, which Jesus already paid for. And family, I've, I've seen this in marriages that have broken down. I've seen this in parents and children whose relationships have broken down. And all because 
the, you know, the parent-child relationship, the parents going, I brought you into this world and I can take you out, right? I sacrificed for 18 years and this is the thanks I get? Moms, dads, it's not about you. It was never about you. I, I want to call you to be a friend, which means to, to be willing to release people to become who God wants them to be, not to be who they're obligated to you to be. See, Paul uses the analogy of childbirth, which is beautiful and how he feels about them, because he's saying true friendship is like a mother who delivers a child, knowing that in her pain, she is releasing a child into a world that will ultimately stand on their own two feet and, and go off one day to, to be in relationship with someone else. Isn't that amazing? What if you, what if you approached all of your friendships like that? He said, the reason that we're in relationship today is not so that you'll be my BFF 60 years from now and repay me for all my kind good deeds, but so that you would go on to be who Christ created you to be and you would honor him with your life. Let me tell you, family, if that were true of our friendships, we would be the best, most amazing friends on the planet. Would we not? It would be amazing to see that. And that's what the heart of the gospel is. It's a desire for others to succeed and to mature in Christ, regardless of how that comes back to impact us. Paul's saying, I'm willingly bearing this pain. I so want Christ to be formed in you. So let me just summarize. When you think of your relationships, here in the body, with other people, with people that you're friends with, is this an accurate description of what's going on? Is this an accurate portrayal of your friendship to others? Empathetic and vulnerable, sacrificial and willing to suffer, truth-tellers, sold out for other people's ultimate good. Family, I I so desperately want us to grow in these things. I want to grow in these things. So, So here's the deal. Even with me, if you, in knowing me as a leader here, do not see these things in me, I'm giving you permission. If you do not see these things in me, you have permission to come and talk to me about it. I am dead serious about this. You have absolute permission to come to me. And if you don't have the the, the, the gall to do it, (laughs) then get someone who does. I'm serious. And one of the reasons I'm serious about this is because recently I've seen a number of pastors fall because of this very thing. Both in our region and around the country. Not because of, of really huge, you know, like sexual, like, you know, relationships or financial dealings but because they became closed off and no one was willing or able to speak into their life. And it happened consistently for a long enough period of time that the person became isolated and ultimately had to be removed from leadership because nobody knew them. And, and I'm, God has given me enough grace to know that, that that could be me. I am not immune to that kind of failure. And so I need you. I need you, family. Just as you need one another. I'm, I'm a member of this body. I, I'm not the head. Jesus is the head. Please do that for me. Please do that for one another. Tragically, Paul's relationship with them doesn't stand the test of time. In spite of Paul's efforts... The relationship that he once enjoyed with them, it's, it becomes completely broken. It goes from openness and vulnerability to, to being closed and defensive. It, it, all the things that we talked about ultimately go away. And, and we don't have time to get into a full detailing of, of why that is. But what Paul points to, which is interesting, is he says, you once served gods. You were once pagans who who gave your life away to false worship. 
And, he, and then he says to them in the very same sentence, are you so easily going back to those same things? And what he's telling them is, is you, in our breakdown of relationship, there is false worship going on. You, you are giving your, your heart away to worship other things besides Jesus. I mean, so you can imagine, I and mean, there's a whole host of things that we could talk about, but, but when you give your, yourself away to things like, like people-pleasing, when you have to have people pleased with you and you worship and sacrifice to the God of being pleased with everyone being pleased with you, how willingly are you to speak the truth in love to someone? Not willing, right? You can't. Why? Because your God demands that you make a sacrifice by not telling the truth. The same thing with all kinds of things. With... with Self-salvation. If we think that, that we're the ones who save ourselves and, and we give ourselves over to the God who says, you must perform in order for me to love you, then how willingly are we to look down on, on other people that are struggling with things that we don't understand? We'll look down on them and we'll look down our noses and we'll say, you need to change in order for me to be a friend. One of the hugest ones, I think, for us is that we submit ourselves over and over again to a God of comfort in this country. We want to be comfortable over absolutely everything. And in our effort to to try to worship the God of comfort, it keeps us from from thinking that we're messy and we, we, we don't give our lives away sacrificially to those that we perceive as messy people because they're uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable to invite a messy person into your home and have their mess influence your clean state of living. Right? What's going on? It's false worship. It's idolatry. And here's the reason I I know that this is true. is because Jesus doesn't look like that. Anytime we see a breakdown in our relationships, we are giving our hearts away to a God who is not Jesus Christ himself. And, and we so often, in our breakdown of our relationships, want to blame other things, don't we? We, we want to blame other circumstances and other people, and, and it, we, just, we don't want it to be our deal to, to deal with. We do this all the time. So how do we get back the relationships? How do you have them reformed? How can you be a good friend? I think the answer, and we're going to close with this, is, is verse 9, when Paul says, But now that you know God, or rather are known by God, how is it that you are turning back to these weak and miserable forces? See, to know God and to be known by God is, is to know someone on an intimate level. It's to know someone deeply to the heart and to the bone of, of who they are. You, you, when you think of that person, I mean, think of somebody that you've been so close with that when you're in a situation that you've been in with that person, you can actually hear them and what they would say in that exact circumstance. You ever have someone in that? You're like, oh my gosh, that's my dad. He would, he would respond in this way in this moment right now. I can hear his voice. This is the way you would say it, and this is how you would say it, and this is who you would say it to. You just know exactly what they're like. And that's what Paul is saying. If, if you want to grow as a friend, if you want to put away the idols and not turn back to them, you need to turn to him, which means to have him influence the way that you see your friendship. And so when, when someone wrongs you and you, you say, I will not be a friend until they forgive, you, you, you go back to God and you go, you know what? You, you sacrificed yourself while I was still a sinner. Before I ever asked for forgiveness, you kept treating me with grace upon grace upon grace and you loved me until I could see it. Wow, that changes the way that I think about a person who's wronged me and harmed me. When you think of people that make you uncomfortable, you wouldn't think more of them. You'd think, God, how have I made you uncomfortable? And how in your grace have you come and, and were with me all the same? 
See, the, the only way to have our horizontal relationships restored is if we have our vertical relationship restored. That's why Jesus says the greatest commandment is to love God, and the second is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. You cannot love your neighbor as yourself until you understand the love of God. You want to be a good friend? Even when you think about maybe somebody in your life right now where the relationship is on the rocks or broken... Own your part. With God's help, and we're going to pray, ask him to reveal any false worship that's going on in you and ask him to do business with it, with the power of the gospel. And he will. That's the great news today, family. He loves to do that. He wants you filled with His Spirit. He wants you walking in the power of the Holy Spirit to, to, to... Literally have Jesus' breath, just like we sang a moment ago. Give his last breath so that your breath could be filled with him. He wants to do that for you today in your relationships. Will you let him? Will you let him, family? Let's pray. Father, we do thank you that you gave your life, you gave your breath so that we could be filled. So often we think of that as an individual filling, as a feeling that we get of, of having hope and security. And all those things are true. But, but you tell us the truth that if, if we are filled with you, we will have relationships that look like how you have relationship with us. We will befriend people as you befriended us. Thank you, Jesus, that you are a friend of sinners. I pray, Lord, that you would enable us to be so to other sinners, just like we are. Come and fill us. Come and empower us as we come to the tables. Make it true again for us that we were messy people and you came to save us so that we might go and and befriend people that need their mess cleaned up. (laughs) Thank you, Jesus, for all these things in your name. Amen.